Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, Dr. Ross Green here, coming to you live, as always, from the offices of Live in the Balance here in Portland, Maine. Time for another edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child. We do this every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, September through May. And um, here we are again, doing it again. Now, we didn't do it last week because it was a holiday here in the United States and also in Canada. So I haven't really had a chance yet to talk about what an incredible day it was at the third annual Lives in the Balance conference on non-adversarial, non-punitive interventions for at-risk kids. Um, We think there were, well, officially there were nearly 500 in the room. It may have been more than 500. It certainly felt that way, but um, it was quite a day. Um, The day opened with a keynote from Robin Peters Bennett, who um, I think was a very poignant voice um, for the damage done by punitive physical intervention, especially hitting and worse. Um, that was followed by a performance by some of the residents at Long Creek Youth Development Center who um, gave first-hand accounts of the damage done by punitive intervention. Uh, then Dan Lozen, um, one of the founders of the school-to-prison pipeline line of research, spoke. He was also, I thought, a very compelling speaker. Then I spoke about sort of the common themes of what we'd heard so far and the need to move things forward in a certain direction. The afternoon was breakout groups on any variety of uh, non-punitive, non-adversarial interventions. I won't even try to name them all, but there were at least eight breakout groups on different interventions. Um, And then, um, well, then I finished up the day to help people learn more about all of the advocacy work that Lives in the Balance is already doing and what we have planned. So um, I'm betting that the vast majority of people who listen to this program um, weren't there, and that's okay. You can, number one, still see highlights of the day when we get them up on the website, and that will be, um, I don't know, in the next two or three weeks, although I'm usually optimistic about those things. There will be photos up on the website within the next week or two. There's already links up on the website to the news media coverage of the day. Um, So just because you weren't there doesn't mean you can't participate in what went on, but what I'm really eager to get up there is the streaming video of the speakers during the day, 
um, so that you can feel like you were there. And if you were there, um, well, you can be reminded of what you experienced on that day. We've gotten just some very gratifying feedback from the day. Um, I think people were moved by the day and left, at least these are the emails I've received, feeling galvanized and energized and ready to take on the world. And, of course, that's what it's going to take because there's still a lot of punitive adversarial stuff going on out there and a lot of places where behaviorally challenging kids are still very poorly understood and therefore poorly treated. And we got to do something about that in our lifetime. And, um, well, you can help out. Uh, if you're at the conference, you could call in and tell us about your day there, 347-994-2981, but it is the exact same phone number. If you want to call in and talk about something that's going on in your life with your behaviorally challenging child. So once again, 347-994-2981. Let me, um, let me start with some email and maybe we'll get some callers and maybe we won't. We'll see. Um, here's one, Dr. Green. I live in the Vancouver area and had the opportunity to hear you speak last night. Now, this was sent, uh, let's see, on November 12th. I was in Vancouver, not last week, I don't think, the week before, that's right, just before the conference. Um, uh, prior to this, I read The Explosive Child at the suggestion of my four-year-old daughter's psychiatrist and really loved the book. My daughter is four. I'm a single mom, and we do have a lot of challenges with behavior. Before reading your book, I was trying to, my best to be firm, in other words, plan A, since I had no concrete ideas of what else to do, and it wasn't working at all, and I spent a lot of time feeling terrible that I was too harsh with her and not the sort of parent I would like to be. Since we've been using your model... Now, she mentions the old name of the model. People are still calling it that, and I'm duty-bound to let people know that it's now called Collaborative and Proactive Solutions now that I am legally prohibited from using the name of my model that I was calling it for a very long time. That name is now owned by a very large hospital corporation in Boston. Uh, since we've been using your model with her, I'll call it, things have gotten substantially better, and I feel so much better about using strategies that feel compassionate and relationship building rather than adversarial. Within a couple of months, I feel like I have a substantially better relationship with my daughter. I can imagine that these skills will continue to be valuable to us as she gets older. I've discussed them with my own mother, who wishes she had had the same resources when my sister and I were teenagers. Your talk last night clarified a few things and I think will help us even more, and I'm keen to check out what else you have made available online. I just wanted to say a very sincere thank you for everything your work has done for us. Well, here is a very sincere, you're welcome. Very gratifying, of course, to receive correspondence like that. Um, you know, that's the whole point of putting stuff out there is to help people. That's the whole point. Let's go on to this one. Uh, this is a little tougher. Hi, I would like some direction or help with my son at school. He is in kindergarten and is having difficulty with behavior issues at school, mostly following teachers' directions, interrupting, etc. 
They uh, have a program set up, and he is on a special one, that's in quotes, for behavior. His cognitive level is average or above average, but his teacher is already calling him a terrorizer for playing with guns at school and says that he is a troublemaker. Yes, he may be challenging. However, he is a sweet, good boy. I want to help him, but do not know how. Um, Thank you for your email and for your question. Um, You know, the best way to help a kid who's sweet and good but is difficulty following directions and interrupting is to call him a terrorizer and a troublemaker. That cannot possibly be productive terminology. That cannot possibly be a productive set of lenses. No way. So I don't know what people do with troublemakers and terrorizers, but I have a feeling I probably wouldn't be too happy with those interventions. So um, here's my first response to this mum. Don't believe them. Sounds like you don't yet. Don't, Don't let them wear you down. Maybe they aren't exactly sure what lenses to be viewing him through and are just going with what's familiar. The problem is that what's familiar is frequently extremely counterproductive. And, um, well, your son is at stake here. There are so many sons and daughters who are at stake and who are depending on us to make sure that we are wearing the right lenses and doing the right thing. So, and this, of course, is my standard response. Mom, we need to make sure you have the right lenses on. Challenging behavior is about lagging skills, and those lagging skills, when they are demanded by the environment, cause problems, and those problems cause challenging behavior that sometimes cause kids who are exhibiting those behaviors to be called terrorizers and troublemakers. But that terminology doesn't even remotely help us understand what skills your son is lacking or what problems are being caused by those lagging skills. So that's job one. Um, I hope you get back on the Lives in a Balance website. Go to the paperwork section. Print out a copy of the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. And I hope you'll... um, figure out what skills your son is lacking and what problems, I call them unsolved problems, are being caused by those lagging skills. Then it's time to prioritize which unsolved problems do you want to be working on first and then try to start solving the ones that are your high priorities with plan B, solve them collaboratively. There's a boatload of resources on the Lives in the Balance website to help you learn how to do Plan B. And I um, hope you will take full advantage of those free resources. And then, of course, at some point along the way, it would be an outstanding idea, hopefully sooner than later, to help the folks at your son's school understand what his lagging skills and unsolved problems are 
and we hope that they will simultaneously come to recognize that if a child is lacking skills, calling him a terrorizer and a troublemaker wouldn't be ideal timing. We've got to make sure they have the right lenses on. Let them know about the Lives in the Balance website. By the way, I should mention, I might have mentioned this the last time we were on, the Lives in the Balance website is about to go through a massive facelift. So um, if you haven't been on there lately, go back. Um, and we are finally about to add some resources as well to the ones that are already there. I hope you can help people view your son through the right lenses, and I hope you and your son can start solving problems collaboratively, and I hope you can get the folks at school to do it. There's a special educator section on the new website. I hope that um, folks at school will take full advantage of that, and let's make sure your son gets the kind of compassionate help he needs and that people stop calling him a troublemaker and a terrorizer. It's interesting. Those are terms. <laughs> it's interesting. Those are those terms can be used casually um, with kids, and um, he's a real terror. Not uncommon for people to say about a two-year-old and. I don't know, you'd have to decide on your own whether that's a good thing for somebody to say about a two-year-old or not. Um, he's a real troublemaker. usually means he's got a gleam in his eye and he's actively trying to make trouble. Count me out on that one. He's a real terror. I probably wouldn't be inclined toward that one either because you never know what kind of... Um, what that's going to mean to the person on the receiving end of it. And I don't think we want people thinking that a kid is a terror. I th I'm quite certain we want people thinking that a kid is lacking skills and has unsolved problems that cause him to behave in ways that are challenging and that we could be working together with the child to help get those problems solved. Yeah, count me out on terror. Count me out on troublemaker. Those terms don't communicate what they should be communicating. Here's another. Let me give you the phone-in number again. The lines are open. 347-994-2981. Uh, yes, my voice is a little deeper than usual today, but that's because um, I spoke for two days in Toronto last week, and then was screaming at my son's two hockey games on Saturday. Almost no screaming at the referees, just screaming. That's what you do at a hockey game, especially when it ends in a 3-3 three to -three tie. That was game one. The problem in game one is that, um, well, there was some unnecessarily aggressive play going on out there, and those are never fun hockey games to watch. Second game was much better, not because they won three to nothing, but because both teams were playing it fair. 
Dr. Green, I'm new to the model and anxious to get started on Plan B with my challenging six-year-old. I'm probably jumping the gun and thinking ahead, but nonetheless, here I am typing anyways. I think I have a grasp on how the model works and the theory behind it. Good. I wanted to see if you could address a particular unsolved problem that seems to get in my son's way often at school where he primarily explodes. Another child having something he wants at center time seems to be a reoccurring problem for him. How do we handle this? Particularly, how do we handle this at school? A more specific example, Lego center. Kid has pieces he needs to build his tower. Other child won't give their Legos to him. He explodes, predictably. Long story short, he is sent home. How do we plan B this issue and solve it? Uh, getting home, sent home for exploding. Um, I don't think that's going to solve the Lego sharing problem. Sending him home so so you can solve it. You're not there. That's of course not the question you asked. That's my commentary. How often? I'll, I promise to answer your question shortly. Isn't it a shame that one of the most common ways in which schools handle behavior problems at school is to send the kid home? Somebody's got to explain that to me, how that could possibly solve the problem that caused the behavior that caused the kid to get sent home in the first place. How? I might be missing something. Actually, I don't think I'm missing anything because those kids just keep getting sent home over and over again, and the problems continue not getting solved, and then the problems continue piling up because all we're busy doing is sending the kid home. This, the nice thing I like about this one is that it's a pretty specific unsolved problem. Difficulty, uh, let's see what you had here. Difficulty... Well, we could go super specific and say difficulty building the tower at center time when without the pieces to finish the tower. That's the unsolved that's a, that's the very specific unsolved problem that time. Um, but the one that you said is, hmm, I, I'm not completely understanding. Maybe I didn't word that exactly right based on the fact that I'm not completely sure about who needed the Lego pieces and who had them, but you get the basic idea. But here's another, but the other one was a child wanting something, another child wanting something he wants at center time. Uh, that's not the same thing, another child having something your son wants at center time. So if I was to go a little bit more generic on that one, and I don't know if I would, but if I did, I would say, um, here's the unsolved problem and how it would be worded, difficulty when another child has something you want during center time. Now the question is, um, it's actually not a question. Now that you have that unsolved problem, it's time to do plan B. Your question is, how do we solve it? I have no idea. I never know ahead of time how a problem is going to get solved. 
the best I can do is help people word the unsolved problems well and do plan B well so the problem does get solved. So I don't know what the solution is going to be. I know how you'll do it. First, let's word it well, and I hope I just helped you do that. Then proactively, let's do plan B and see if your son can participate in the process. And here's my only lingering question. You're not there when it's happening. You could do plan B with your son proactively outside of school. Um, I just don't know if you're going to be able to solve something that's going on in a different environment without the involvement of the people in that different environment. That's really hard to do, and it's not just at 6 years old, it's at 12 years old. Very hard for parents who are on the outside looking in frequently to solve a problem at school that they're not there for and that they're not involved in. Now, I, I can see how parents would need to be involved for, like, homework. I, I can see how parents might need to be involved for things like getting to school on time, but I, I'm not... You can do the empathy step with your son and gather information about his concern or perspective on that unsolved problem, but I have this feeling there's going to need to be some collaboration between you and the folks at school, too, Along those lines, here's an email from one of our listeners. Um, try to remember that teachers do well if they can, too. The teacher would benefit from some proactive meetings with the mom so as to help them learn that there's a different way to approach a challenging child. Thank you for that uh, reminder. Um, I wonder if teachers know that your child is lacking skills. This is another point being made by a, another email, um, that challenging behavior is similar to a math or reading problem and should be addressed as such. Right. I have this feeling that you're going to have to collaborate with the folks at school, not only on doing plan B, but on helping them understand who your child is and what he needs from us adults. Otherwise, you'll be doing plan B at home and things will be going okay at home, and that's good, but he's still going to be getting sent home from school for things they should be dealing with in the same way that you are at home. So that could be hard, but... Feel free to call in, um, and I'm happy to help you along the way. That call-in number again, 347-994-2981. Let's move on to another question. Good. We're getting through some email today. That's actually a good thing. Here we go. Dr. Green, my seven-and-a-half-year-old daughter is nonverbal and has multiple disabilities due to a stroke in utero. I'm reading your book, The Explosive Child, and I'm wondering how I can go about implementing Plan B with her when she can't talk to tell me what her concerns are. She's having problems at home and at school, and despite my best efforts to explain 
why reward and punishment systems are ineffective with my child due to her brain injury. The school still feels like she needs to have a consequence for pushing and or hitting adults and students. I am confident her behaviors are communication-based and don't feel she should be punished when she is communicating the only way she knows how. She has an odd comm device, but she is easily frustrated with that too, as she has a, to do a lot of paging just to say the simplest things. Any advice you could give me on this matter would be greatly appreciated. This sounds tough, of course, and um, I appreciate your email. And I'm sorry that you're going through the difficulties that you're going through. Tough enough, I suppose, to have a daughter who is born having had a stroke in utero and has multiple disabilities and is nonverbal. Tough enough. Without people thinking that consequencing challenging behavior is what your daughter needs. Um, I totally agree with you that I'm betting, and I'm not there, so I can't say for sure. But I'm having trouble imagining how an adult-imposed consequence, if you're right that the hitting um, and pushing is communicating, I'm not exactly sure how an adult-imposed consequence would do anything except send your daughter the message that she shouldn't hit or push. Now, you know your seven-and-a-half-year-old nonverbal daughter, and I don't. You'd know better than me whether she already knows she shouldn't push and shouldn't hit. But if that knowledge is already in there, we don't need rewarding and punishing for that. And I would say that not only for a nonverbal child and not only for a seven-and-a-half-year-old, but I would say that for a three-year-old and an eight-year-old and a 16-year-old, whether they're verbal or nonverbal, you don't need a reward and punishment program to teach kids things they already know. And I'm going to go out on a limb here, even though I don't think it's really a limb. I think that most of the time that kids are rewarded and punished, it's for things they already know. So now, what else would a reward and punishment program do if, if we don't want to teach the kid something that the kid already knows, don't hit, don't push, then there's only one other thing a reward and punishment program would do, and that is give the child the incentive not to hit, and that message would typically be delivered in the form of punishment and give the child the incentive to do something in its place. That would typically be delivered and encouraged through use of a reward. But if your daughter is communicating through hitting and pushing, and if kids do well if they can, and if doing well is preferable, then I'm betting your daughter would be communicating in ways other than hitting and pushing if she could. Challenging behavior communicates to us that the kid is lacking the skills to do it better. If your daughter could do it better, she would do it better. But from what I'm reading in the rest of your email, she's having difficulty communicating throughout the day. 
Now, one of my questions is, is have we yet found a mechanism for her to communicate very simple things so she doesn't have to hit and push? Very simple frustrations. Have we taken a look at the demands that are being placed on your daughter, the circumstances in which she's hitting and pushing in particular, and have we decided, and this would be plan C, that there are some of those expectations that are being placed on her that we are just going to set aside for now. We're going to, we're going to make sure that those situations don't even arise. She won't be hitting or pushing in those situations if she's not in those situations. That's plan C. And then is there a way for us to do plan B with her so that she is participating in the process of solving these problems collaboratively if the Oddcom device isn't getting her there I wonder if other there are other ways to get her there more simple ways like perhaps pictures that she would just have to point at to let us know that something's the matter possibly what it is what's troubling her about it, what some potential solutions are. I've been working on the fifth edition of The Explosive Child. I think it'll be out in March of 2014, and it will have sample pictures in it. Sample pictures. And in fact, you know what? I think I'm going to, this idea just came to me, I think I'm going to post those sample pictures on the Lives in a Balance website so that people can see what the pictures would look like. Why do we have to wait till the book comes out in March to see what those pictures would look like? We don't. I'll get them up there as soon as I possibly can. There's my um, advice. We've got to figure out what skills your daughter is lacking. We've got to figure out, and I think you have a, decent handle at least on some of the skills your daughter is lacking, especially in the communication realm. We've got to um, figure out the specific conditions in which she's having difficulty. Those are called unsolved problems. And we've got to see if there's a way to solve those problems with her collaboratively and to find a way to communicate with her that... Um, may work better for her, at least in the short term, so that she can participate in these discussions, and especially so that she can let us know what's the matter when something's the matter. Um, an instrument that should be very helpful to you is the Assessment of Lagging Skills and Unsolved Problems, and you'll find that on the Lives in a Balance website in the Resources section in the paper, on the Paperwork page. I wish you the best of luck with that. It's a very tough situation. All right, let's go to another one. It looks like today's going to be an email day. Let me just double-check here. Yep, we're going to keep going with email. Okay, here we go. This is one from Sweden. Sorry, it took a while for us to get to this one, but we finally are through the ones that I received over the summer, I think. 
Hi, Dr. Graham. I'm one of your podcast listeners from Sweden who has a question about video games and movies. I have three boys, 6, 8, and 10 years old. The two oldest were brought up the traditional way, and it worked out pretty well. The youngest is another type of child and doesn't respond to this kind of parenting. Good for you for knowing that. I want to know where it's written, where it says you should raise every kid the exact same way, because every kid has the exact same needs, and um, that's the best way to go. Well, anyways, I'll get back to the email. I'm sermonizing a lot today. I must be, must be that kind of mood. He started school this fall, and the situation has been getting worse with multiple meltdowns every day. Two weeks ago, I finally realized that this is not working. By the way, not working is in capital letters. I went online and Googled aggressive children and found your book. Describes my son and me and my wife to a T. We are now trying to completely change the way we behave towards our children. All three of them. Question. I wonder if violent... Well, first of all, because the question um, isn't related to what you've just described, so I'm just going to comment on what you've just described. Good for you. Good for you. Not easy to change the way you're doing things. Maybe the way you were brought up. I know you brought your kids up the traditional way. Most people who bring their kids up the traditional way were brought up the traditional way themselves. Good for you for for being open-minded and for trying something new. Not easy for anybody. Not easy for the people who are listening to this program who haven't quite been able to bring themselves to do it yet. Very hard to put those old lenses down and put on more progressive lenses. Very hard to not handle challenging behavior in the heat of the moment rather than proactively and very hard to move away from being unilateral and punitive and adversarial to being proactive and collaborative. Good for you. All right, now to your question. I wonder if violent video games, and I don't want to name them, but violent video games, and violent movies, I'm not going to name those either, trigger aggressive behavior. I realize that the most important thing is to stop yelling at our children, but it feels like it's counterproductive to let a six-year-old play these games and watch these movies. It's almost like an aggressive behavior simulator. We have used a time limit when it comes to gaming for a couple of years. They are allowed three hours per week. What are your thoughts about violent games and movies? I don't like them. I don't like them. I don't think it's um, productive for a kid to sit in front of a video game or watch a movie in which people are being blown up, simulated, blown up, shot at, killed, blood, heads cut off. I don't think it's good. Now, having said that, I think that most kids are able to play those video games without us being concerned in a major way about the impact of those games and movies on their behavior. Harry Potter has some pretty violent stuff in it, and it was extraordinarily well-read. And those movies, well, a lot of people watched them, a lot of kids 
and they kind of took it in stride. But I think that there are kids out there who are much more vulnerable to the effects of watching violence. And it's not always easy to tell who those kids are. That's the hard part. It's not always easy to tell who they are. And so often we are surprised. And so often we read that the kid was watching a lot of violent movies or especially playing a lot of violent video games before they did something that was quite violent. It sure would be nice if there was a better way to predict who was going to be vulnerable to violent video games and movies and who wasn't. Probably some people who would be alive in this world right now who aren't right now if we had the ability to predict that better than we do, but we don't. So while I don't like them, and while I don't like having that stuff in somebody's repertoire, um, it sure would be nice if we could figure out who was most vulnerable to the effects of those games. Now, as a more philosophical issue, since those games don't seem to precipitate violence in regular old kids. The more philosophical issue is why would we want one of those kids to be sitting in front of a violent video game or movie anyways? Now, scary movies have always been part of our repertoire. Um, this was a very long time ago, but... Um, I used to cry when the Wicked Witch was doing her thing on the rooftop and the Wizard of Oz and throwing fireballs at the Scarecrow so as to set him on fire. And some violence in that movie, and that's an old one. So it's not like there hasn't been violence in movies that were intended for kids. Um, there are some Disney movies that are violent. Um, and have lots of mean people in them. One of our emailers is pointing out that the biggest danger may be that video games desensitize children. And I actually think that that's perhaps the most important point, whether this is a kid who is especially vulnerable to the effects of video games or not. Uh, I think that the human species is rapidly becoming desensitized to violence. And I'm not putting all of that on video games. We are a violent species. You don't have to move well beyond the front page of the newspaper most days to see that we are a violent species. Most of us aren't. But there's a lot of carnage going on out there all over the world. And because we are so connected and because the news is so readily available, we read about this stuff daily almost. And I think that has a numbing effect on us. I think a bomb 
was reading over the weekend that a bomb went off in Iraq uh, over the weekend uh, in some location, might have been Afghanistan instead, some location where peace talks were going to be held. And I noticed this in myself because I tried to. I noticed that I didn't really feel much about a bomb going off and killing somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 people. Because I read about that almost every day. In one of my real-world posts quite some time back, I wrote about empathy fatigue. Empathy fatigue. I do feel as a slightly general trend that we are a less empathic species than we used to be. And I wouldn't want to pin all of that on video games, but I think that video games are fueling the desensitization toward violence that is happening already. wonder if it makes the real McCoy less poignant, too. People who live in neighborhoods that are violence-ridden do become habituated to violence. So anyways, there's my opinion on your question. I don't like them. Don't see the point of them. Don't think they're good for kids. Wish we didn't have to live with them. But it's the kids who are most vulnerable to their effects that cause some of us to not be alive because of them. All right, let's see if we have time for one more. We've made excellent headway today. We are clearly not going to get any callers today. All right, I can't do that one. That's a long one. Let's see if I can do a short one real quick. I don't think that one's going to be quick enough. Hang on one second. I have apologized for this. I'm just scanning through here. All right, here we go. I think I can do this one in three minutes. Dr. Green, my 12-year-old son is an explosive child, and your book describes him to a T. We have just started trying to implement your plan B approach, but I have found that sometimes he doesn't express a concern. He just kind of implodes but can't verbalize what the issue is. So I'm not sure how to reflect back concern if he's not verbally expressing one, even though there clearly is one. Sometimes I don't think he even knows what his concern is. For example, when he did take a shower yesterday, he started to implode a bit, but I was able to discover he didn't want to because it's boring. Should I have said it's boring for you? What's up? Or words to that effect. Good. That one I can answer in a minute or two. And then this program will be over for today. Um, sometimes we have to talk with kids about talking. With kids who are having difficulty expressing their concerns, um, we have to talk with them about why talking is hard for them. Um, so that unsolved problem would be worded difficulty um, telling mom or dad um, what's the matter when they ask about a particular problem. Um, and you might get some useful information there. Another good strategy is to give your child advanced warning. And I would call this standard advice, not just for kids who are having trouble expressing their concerns in the empathy step. 
give them advance warning of when the conversation is going to take place and especially of what the topic is going to be so that um, they have some time to think about it ahead of time and you're not surprising them with the topic. Now, you may be doing that already, but if you're not, there's advice. And those pictures that I post on the website when I can do it should be helpful to you as well because there are pictures of things that could be the matter. And sometimes using pictures to help kids express what their concerns are, or at least to give them sort of a scaffolding or a foundation for what their concerns could be, also helpful. There's my advice on that one. If I didn't quite cover it for you, email back, and I'll try to do a more comprehensive job. In the meantime, that's going to do it for us today here on Parenting Your Challenging Child. I'll be back next week with another edition. Talk to you then.